Hello, divers. Coming to you from Studio D, this is the Deep Dive Microcast, a brief look into things that I find interesting, and I hope you do too. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, chicken nugget enthusiast, and writer for Wings Chop Movie Magazine. In this edition of the Deep Dive Microcast, we dive into a New Year's Eve tradition that's been around for a half century and is still going strong. Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. That's right, nostalgia nerds. This December 31st marks the 50th anniversary of the first airing of Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. Now, there are some questions here to be explored. Who is Dick Clark? And why did New Year's Eve need to be so rockin'? Once again, we go back in time. This time, nearly a hundred years, to meet a guy named Guy. And now, from the world-famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel on fashionable Park Avenue, where New York's glamorous high society is celebrating New Year's Eve in the Grand Ballroom, it's the Royal Canadians and Mr. New Year's Eve himself, Guy Lombardo. Well, folks, thank you very much, and welcome to our New Year's Eve party. Not only do you folks here in the Waldorf Astoria, but all of you looking in on CBS all over this station and the Canadian great TV stations, too. Guy Lombardo was a popular Canadian band leader born at the turn of the 20th century. He became well-known for his New Year's Eve radio broadcasts beginning in 1928. Three decades later, Lombardo brought his big band broadcast to television, where his New Year's Eve show became a beloved tradition for decades afterwards. However, as the 1970s rolled around, the big band era had long passed, and the Guy Lombardo band seemed old and antiquated. People just weren't as interested in watching New York's elite dancing in a posh ballroom to music that must have seemed ancient to anyone under 50. Maybe it was time for something new. Something that would attract a younger audience. Something edgy and current. Dare I say, even hip? Yeah, probably not. But who would step up to bring this revolutionary idea to fruition? America's oldest teenager, of course, Dick Clark. The man born Richard Wagstaff Clark didn't sing, didn't dance, didn't play a musical instrument. Yet, he is as responsible for popularizing rock and roll music in America as Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, or any other recording artist alive at the time. So how did Dick Clark accomplish this? Two words. American Bandstand. 
We're going hopping, hopping. We're going hopping today. When things are popping, I feel the Delphi way. We're gonna drop it on all the music they play on the bandstand. Bandstand. 1956. Local Philadelphia TV station WFIL had a program simply called Bandstand, hosted by a man named Bob Horn. Horn took Bandstand from just a show that aired filmed music performances to one that featured teenagers in a studio dancing to current hit songs. The format proved popular with teen viewers. Unfortunately for Bob Horn, he would never reap the benefits of Bandstand's success. On July 9, 1956, Horn was fired after an arrest for drunk driving. His replacement? 27-year-old Dick Clark. This is WFIL-TV, the Philadelphia Inquirer station. Live from Philadelphia, it's time for America's favorite dance party, American Bandstand. And now, here's the star of our show, Dick Clark. This man has sold millions upon millions upon millions of records all over the world. He's put together an album of the 12 great rock and roll songs that he could think of. One of them had to be his because this was probably one of the biggest records of all time. It's, it, it's six years old now and just as new as today. This one's called Rock Around the Clock. Bill Haley. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. At the time, Clark was a popular radio DJ in Philadelphia and he proved to be the perfect replacement. Young, clean cut, and a consummate communicator, Clark had the on-camera charisma and rapport with the youth that propelled the newly christened American Bandstand to nationwide acclaim on the ABC television network. Dick Clark and American Bandstand introduced a new era of music to a generation that simply could not get enough of that rock and roll. Two decades later, during the 1970s, Bandstand was still going strong. Instead of artists like Chuck Berry, Chubby Checker, and Peggy Lee, audiences were now listening to Steely Dan, The Lovin' Spoonful, and Bachman Turner Overdrive. Bandstand had them all. That was its secret sauce. The host stayed the same, but the music they played was ever-changing and always evolving. Now, there was one cultural institution, however, that was still stuck firmly in the past. Dick Clark set his sights on Mr. Guy Lombardo himself. So he set out to produce his own New Year's Eve special. And on the evening of December 31st, 1972, viewers of the NBC television network retreated to something new. Direct from aboard the Queen Mary in California, Coast to coast to Times Square in New York, you're invited to Three Dog Night's New Year's Rockin' Eve. Starring Three Dog Night and Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Al Green, Billy Preston, Helen Reddy, and I'm Dick Clark from Times Square. 
in a clear-cut case of counter-programming, the rather uh, unwieldy titled Three Dog Nights New Year's Rockin' Eve gave young people something to watch while they were partying in their rumpus rooms and conversation pits. While the musical numbers were taped in California, Dick Clark reported live from Times Square in New York. By the way, in case you weren't familiar with Three Dog Night and thought I might have been having a stroke back there, Three Dog Night was a middle-of-the-road rock band that originally existed from the late 1960s to the mid-1970s and actually racked up an impressive 11 top 10 hits. But the following year, Three Dog Night was facing some internal problems, including the loss of several band members, so they didn't return to host. Instead, legendary counterculture comedian George Carlin hosted the more reasonably titled New Year's Rockin' Eve. Once again, the special did well enough to stay alive until the next New Year's Eve. The show jumped networks to ABC and endured another title change, this time to Chicago's New Year's Rockin' Eve. Now, to clarify, the title does not indicate that the show itself was broadcast from Chicago, a.k.a. the Windy City. It does, however, indicate that the show was headlined by rock band Chicago, along with the Doobie Brothers and Olivia Newton-John. The New Year's Rockin' Eve specials continued to be popular with the younger demographic, but had yet to break the stranglehold that rival network CBS had on New Year's with their Guy Lombardo-led big band extravaganza. That remained the case until November of 1977. I'm David Jackson reporting on the CBS radio network. Lombardo died last night at Methodist Hospital in Houston, where he'd been in critical condition since late last month. Word of his death came from hospital spokesman Frank Weaver. The apparent cause of death uh, is respiratory insufficiency related to the problem for which he was readmitted uh, here October 27th, and that was a pulmonary condition, really similar to a mnemonic or pneumonia-type process associated with some kidney and heart failure. His wife, Mrs. Lily Bell Lombardo, was with him at the time of death. The sound and style of Guy Lombardo has become synonymous with New Year's Eve. He and the Royal Canadians first played the tune of Old Lang Syne over radio on December 31st, 1929. Lombardo was born in 1912 in London, Ontario. He first formed a band and began to play for small dances when he was 12 years old. Lombardo recorded more than 30 hits during his career, rather 300 hits. They included Little White Lies, You're Driving Me Crazy, and Seems Like Old Times. He was called King of Corn by some detractors, but his style provided him with a longer, more successful career than any other big band leader. Guy Lombardo, dead at 75. The death of Guy Lombardo left CBS without its main New Year's draw. There was an attempt to continue the tradition with just Guy's band, the Royal Canadians, but it didn't work. So it was dropped in favor of a new program titled, cleverly enough, Happy New Year, America. America's having a New Year's Eve party, and CBS is bringing it home to you. 
Live from glittering Las Vegas, join host Paul Anka with Les Brown and his band of renown and country music star Barbara Mandrell. From the world-famous Copacabana, New York City, Miss Natalie Cole. Live from New Orleans, Al Hurt. And when the midnight bell tolls in Times Square, the Dukes of Hazard's Catherine Bach will be there. So join us starting at 11.30, 10.30 Central and Mountain, and Happy New Year from CBS. This new replacement show skewed towards older adults with more mainstream musical performances, including country music, and decidedly less controversial hosts like, oh, Kermit the Frog. The new broadcast did well enough and had a 16-year run. But Happy New Year America was no match for Dick Clark's yearly rock and roll coast-to-coast -coast party. And the party kept on going. Throughout the 80s, 90s, but not 1999. Dick Clark and his rockin' took a backseat to ABC's news division that year, taking over the December 31st time slot with a global end of the millennium broadcast called ABC 2000. On December the 31st, we hope you will join us in Times Square because from here, we will celebrate with the world. Reaching out to viewers in an unprecedented global telecast. The celebration begins here. Thousands of stories of hope. Drama. The future. 750 cases of champagne. Celebrate. And that's just in my house. Spanning every time zone. Seven continents. Two tons of confetti. And only one. One. One network will be there. Celebrate the millennium with the world. Come December the 31st only on ABC. Being a one-shot deal, Dick Clark and company were gearing up for a return to New Year's Rock and Eve in 2001. But as I'm sure you can imagine, those plans changed. The tragic and horrifying events of 9-11 were still fresh on the minds of all Americans come December of 2001. It didn't, however, stop the traditional New Year's celebration. It was perhaps a more sober and solemn event than before, but the crowd still came to Times Square to leave behind one of the worst years in American history. It was around this time that Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve made the push into primetime, beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern time instead of starting after the local 11 o'clock news. Even with the proliferation of cable television and the plethora of other viewing options from CNN to MTV, Dick Clark's perennial New Year's show continued its dominance into the 21st century. America's oldest teenager would face a serious setback. At the age of 75, while prepping for the 2005 New Year's broadcast, Dick Clark suffered a minor stroke. He was unable to host that year's show and Regis Philbin was tapped to host in Clark's place. Clark returned the following year, but the stroke left him with a condition called dysarthria. It's a neurological disorder that makes it difficult to pronounce words, which is pretty much a worst-case scenario for someone who literally made a career out of being well-spoken. Clark was joined by former American Idol host Ryan Seacrest, who did most of the heavy lifting during the 2005 telecast. Clark would make appearances on the show that bore his name for several more years until his passing in 2012 from a heart attack. Of course, the show is still going strong today. Oh, and if you thought Three Dog Nights New Year's Rock and Eve was a cumbersome title, 
Now, it's Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eat with Ryan Seacrest. Well, it's fairly safe to say that as long as there's a New Year's Eve to celebrate, at least some folks will be um, rocking it in. Well, for that and many other things, we owe Dick Clark our thanks. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at the deep dive podcast gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to all of those and our merchandise store in the bio of our Instagram page. From all of us here at Studio D, which again is just me and my cat, stay safe and take care. All clips used in the Deep Dive microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. The Deep Dive microcast is a production of Automaton Studios. Thank you.